So when I was about 18 years old, I finally became totally self-sufficient. I was, as far as I can tell, the smartest, best-looking, most successful man ever. That's where I was at 18 years old. I had, I had grown up in a home where my parents were serious Christ followers. They had taught me a lot, and I considered myself a Christian. I had attended church my whole life. I had volunteered. I'd gone to youth camp a hundred times. I even had memorized several Michael W. Smith songs. So I won't sing them for you now, um, but yes, you're welcome. <laughs> All right, now I'm going to. No. Um, but at around about 18, I realized that I had pretty much figured it out. Uh, I knew what needed to be done, um, and I was confident and self-sufficient. Uh, one of the reasons I valued self-sufficiency was because while I was attending church, I was also living in the world. And the mantra of the world was, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, whatever bootstraps are. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? It was, just do it, or believe in yourself. Those were sort of the mantras of the world, and I did believe in myself. And the more I thought about myself, the less I thought of God. Ever been there yourself? It's so easy to pick up the ways of the world, but there's so much more as we learn to live for Jesus. Here's Pastor David. I went on like this for some time, believing in myself more and more and thinking that I needed God less and less. And my attitude was this way, and I walked in the way of the world. I did what I wanted. I did what was right in my own eyes because I had it figured out, right? I, I just did me. I just did me, right? And I justified all my behavior, whatever I was doing, because I was so smart and I could justify anything. And I may tell you more of this story later. It gets bad. But there came a time when God intervened in all that. And I will praise him eternally for rescuing me from my so-called self-sufficiency. But over time, God showed me in no uncertain terms a few things. He showed me that I did not have it all figured out. He showed me that I was not self-sufficient. He showed me that without him, I could do nothing. And he showed me that my life was leading to death. That this self-sufficient, prideful life was leading to death. Now, we are studying Jesus, the Messiah's Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is going to lay out how we as Christ followers are separate from the world. Jesus is going to show us the power and the strength of God's kingdom versus the weak and dying ways of the world. That's what he's going to highlight for us. For many of us, we have bought into the lies of the world. We've bought into them. For many of us, we have accepted the MO of the world. If you don't know what, the, what an MO is, it stands for modus operandi, which is a Latin phrase. It just means way of operating. In Latin, Google defines it this way. It says, a particular way or method of doing something, especially one that is characteristic or well-established. Now, the world has a well-established particular way of doing things. There is nothing new under the sun, and it has been this way forever. 
And we don't have to learn that MO, that way of doing things in school. And we don't have to learn it from our parents. We just pick it up. We pick it up, right? You probably don't remember learning how to talk. Most of you don't remember learning how to talk. You just picked it up. You just picked it up, right? You started with da-da, right? Da-da, da-da-da-da. And they're like, oh, he's saying da-da. Like, no, he's just going da-da-da-da-da-da. But I thought they were saying da-da. Then, then the next word usually is mine or no, right? And eventually you get to anti-disestablishmentarianism, right? That's, that's kind of how it works. Uh, we, just, we just move on. We, we, we learn more and more. You just catch it. You catch it like a cold. It just happens. Unless you had a particular type of speech issue that needed work on that, you just started talking a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more, some more than others. And the MO of the world is picked up in the same way. You just catch it. You just catch it. We like to boil ideas down to statements that are pithy and that sort of stick with us, right? Like, there's no use crying over spilled milk. A penny saved is a penny earned. Or he who last laugh, laughs last probably didn't get the joke, right? Um, <laughs> there are many sayings. There are many social rules and other ways that make up our MO that we just pick up. You just pick them up, right? Like the reason... You didn't come to church in your underwear today. I mean, hopefully you're wearing underwear, but I mean, not just your underwear. And the reason you're probably not picking your nose in front of everybody right now is because you figured it out, right? You picked it up, okay? And you figure those things out the same way you figure a few other things out, right? These social rules, these norms, these pithy things, all these things come in to make up our MO. And they're the reason that we don't act like crazy people or, or whatever, but they're also the reason why we hate our enemies. And they're also the reason why we value wealth too much. And they're also the reason why we think we are or think we should be self-sufficient. And they're the reason that we justify all kinds of things because in our country or in our state, those things are legal. So they must be okay, the MO of the world. Or because everyone else is doing this, it must be okay, the MO of the world. We just catch it. We just catch it. Jesus is going to show us that for the Christ follower. Jesus Christ's commands are our way. His commands are our way. And they are different than the MO of the world. Early in the history of the church, Christ followers referred to as the way. That's how they were referred to. Early on, when the church was beginning, they called them the way. That's what you would have been called. because Oh, he's part of the way. She's part of the way. The reason that they did that is because they had a different MO. Their way was different. Their way was Jesus. Their way to salvation was Jesus. Their way to act was Jesus' commands. Their way of living was based on Jesus. Their power in their life was in the Holy Spirit. They were a different way, different MO, different way of doing things than the world's way, even a different way of doing things than the way of other religious people, even the religious people from whom they had come out. This series is called Right Side Up, and it's called Right Side Up for a reason. Jesus is going to show us that the world's MO is upside down. It's upside down. It's not just a little off. It's upside down. And the MO of the kingdom of heaven is right side up. So let's read some scripture. Get into it here. We're in Matthew 5. If you have your Bible, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. It says this, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed 
are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first section of the Sermon on the Mount is commonly called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, which really just means blessed. That's what it means. And what does it mean to be blessed? It's something different than being happy. It's something different than feeling good. It means something different. This is D.A. Carson who wrote a book on the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he said. He said, although some modern translations, he's talking out of the Bible, prefer happy to blessed. So some people will say, happy are the poor in spirit. You may have a translation that says that. And this is what he says. He says, it is a poor exchange. Those who are blessed will generally be profoundly happy, but blessedness cannot be reduced to happiness. In the scriptures, man can bless God and God can bless man. This gives us a clue, just what is meant. To be blessed means to be approved, to find approval. When man blesses God, he is approving God. He is praising God. Of course, God doesn't need our praise, but it's right that we should praise him. When God blesses man, he is approving man. Since this is God's universe, there can be no higher blessing than to be approved by God. We must ask ourselves, whose blessing we diligently seek? If God's blessing means more to us than the approval of loved ones, no matter how cherished or of colleagues, no matter how influential, then the Beatitudes will speak to us very personally and deeply. The question we have to ask ourselves, every one of us, every day, the question we have to ask ourselves is whose approval do we seek? Whose approval do we seek? You gotta be honest with yourself about this. We seek the approval of people or of ourselves or do we seek God's approval? Do we seek God's approval? Because that's what it means to be blessed by God. If we seek God's approval, Jesus speaks and tells us just what that looks like. Just what it looks like to be blessed by God. Just what it looks like to be approved by God. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about this for a second. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we, you and me, can be blessed by God, the King, the creator of the universe, God. There are billions of people on this planet. There are billions of stars in the galaxy. There are galaxies and planets and amazing things and animals and, and all the things that God's created. And you, sitting in that seat or wherever you are listening to this, you can be blessed by God. That's an amazing thing. If you don't see it as amazing, you don't understand who God is. You don't understand how powerful he is. You don't understand how amazing he is and how righteous he is and how perfect he is and how all-knowing he is. You don't understand any of that if you don't understand what, in, what a mind-bending thing it is to realize that we can be blessed by God. Now, I'm going to tell you a problem that I have. I often think about heaven as a different existence, a different existence. Uh, people use the word afterlife. A lot of people use the word afterlife to refer to heaven or to whatever thing they think happens after you die. And I sometimes think of heaven as a life we will live after this life is over. We have this earthly life, then comes a different life. But that's not accurate. That's not how it really works. There is life and death in terms of our body, but, but listen closely. Your new life started or will start when you follow Jesus Christ. That's the new life. When you come to Christ, 
the new life has started. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus is teaching us here how to live the new life now, not later, not only in heaven, not in some far-off concept of heaven far away and I've got the diaper and the harp and the cloud. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying right now, you can live as a new and eternal person right now. Yes, your body may die. If you don't get raptured, your body's going to die. It's going to go away. But it's not a new life. Your new life already started. You'll get a new body. Same spirit. Same spirit. You will be you in heaven. Not some different you. You will be you. Your perfection in Christ will be completed at that time. But that perfection is part of a process that is already happening now. You are being made for heaven, stitch by stitch, right now, if you're in Christ. Right now, today, stitch by stitch. Not later, not I'm going to do the best I can, and, and then when I get to heaven, it's all going to change. It's all going to be, no, no, no. That's just a progression. You're just seeing the progression of something that's already started. You are already living eternally. Do not think of heaven as another life. Think of heaven as a continuation of the life that you have in Christ now. Different MO. The MO that Christ is teaching is an MO of a new creation, a new creature in Christ. God, the Holy Spirit, is working in us, those of us that are Christ followers, perfecting us and bringing us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. He's teaching us and showing us how to live the Christ life now. Now, will heaven be better than now? Of course it will. Of course it will. We'll no longer experience this kind of pain and, and we'll no longer be in a fallen world. So it's going to be better. It's going to be better. And we will see him face to face. Nothing could be better. But listen closely, because this is important. If you don't grow and transform to love the things that God blesses in us now, if you don't grow to love those things, if you don't grow to live and love the MO of the kingdom of heaven now, what makes you think you will want it when you get to heaven? You're being prepared for heaven. If you say, this is all too hard, this is all aspirational, maybe it happens. If you say, I don't really care about that or I'll work on that later, what makes you think you're going to enjoy a place where that is the MO of every creature? You've got to start living it now. You got to start living it now. People are going to think you're weird. We're supposed to be aliens now. Not holding on to the things and the MOs of this world, but living the MO of the kingdom of heaven now. God showed us this when he set aside his people in Israel to live separately. And there were a lot of rules that were about being separate from the nations around them. They couldn't do it. Jesus Christ came and perfected all that. We are now, in Christ, supposed to be aliens and strangers to the world. We're supposed to be weird. And I know for some of you, for some of us, being weird, <laughs> for some of you being weird is a piece of cake. I'll give you that. 
I will give you that. <laughs> All right. For some of you, being weird is one of your biggest fears. One of your biggest fears. Some of you had parents who embarrassed you. You know what the best thing your parents could say when you were a teenager and your friends were around was? Nothing. <laughs> right? Nothing. Because if they said something, it might be cheesy or embarrassing because parents aren't cool. Except for me. I'm an amazingly cool parent. My kids tell me all the time. <laughs> Super cool. I don't know what the rolling eyes thing is when they say it, but I, I think they're being honest. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to be different. We don't want to be different in ways that make people think we're weird. We don't like that. But Jesus is going to show us that Christ followers will be weird to the world. Because their MO is upside down and ours is right side up. We have a different MO. We shine a bright light. And not everyone is going to like it. Not everyone is going to like it. The first blessing that we just read that Jesus tells us about in verse 3 is, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, it means the opposite of what the world tells you. That's what it means. There's a document uh, called the Humanist Manifesto, and it's signed by a bunch of people. Richard Dawkins and Oliver Stone, movie director, and uh, Eugenie Scott, who, who heads up the science, the National Science Center, and, and other famous people and so on. This is what it says as it begins, the Humanist Manifesto. It says this, humanism is a progressive philosophy of life that without supernaturalism affirms our ability and our responsibility to lead ethical lives of personal fulfillment that aspire to the greater good of humanity. Let me tell you what they're saying. Basically says that there's no God and that you have the ability to lead an ethical life that is personally fulfilling and that aspires to the greater good of humanity. Apparently they are not understanding the fact that we as humans living these ethical lives that we have the power to do have killed millions and millions and millions of people through war and crime and, and oppression. Maybe they don't understand that. Or maybe they don't understand the fact that words like ethical and the good of humanity have no real reasonable meaning without supernaturalism. In other words, words like morality and good and ethical only have real meaning if there's a God. Without a God, most philosophers would tell you everything is permissible. There is no right or wrong. Nevertheless, this is still a philosophy of many people. It relies on a couple of things. It relies on the idea that we know what is good and that we are able to do what is good and right on our own steam and that we're likely to do so. That we're likely to do so. It puts human beings where? In the place of God. Now that's a scary thought, isn't it? How could anyone ever think of themselves as in the place of God? And yet, a lot of the world's M.O. does exactly that. I hope you'll join us next time for much more. And remember, if this kind of Bible-based teaching is something you'd like more of in your life, come see us at Acts Church this Sunday morning. Get easy directions and all the info you need at actschurchnw.org. Hope to meet you this Sunday. And I hope you'll be with us for our next episode 
here on Contemplate.